Good evening, everyone. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 John, and we are starting the last chapter tonight, chapter 5 of 1 John. I was talking to Chase earlier, or was it yesterday maybe, and he said we started this back in February. So, that's pretty good. We're doing pretty good. Uh, Anyway, but it's been really good study, so we'll have a few more weeks left of this, uh, but we are starting in the the last chapter of 1 John, which is chapter 5. Um, I will not be here the next two weeks, um, but one of the other elders will be, will be teaching, so keep coming, uh, come back, and as we'll, we'll continue in this study, um, at least I'm pretty sure whoever's teaching will continue in this study. Maybe not, but we'll see. Uh, and then I'll be back after two weeks, and um, we'll continue from wherever uh, they've been left off. So we've, uh, like I said, made it to chapter 5. Um, this letter that John wrote to the church, uh, as he has given several instances, um, several ways that a person can know they are truly a Christian, not only so that people can know uh, if they are Christians, but also to know if to know when someone else who claims to be a Christian um, is not, even though they say they are. Um, we've also seen John's strong command not to believe everything that is said in the name of Christ. Uh, instead, we're to test everything, and we're to, we're to measure everything against the plumb line of Scripture, of the Word of God. And chapter 5 is, is John's, uh, here in this letter, is John's wrap-up, uh, his, his closing statements to his letter to um, the people uh, that he was writing to, and he, he takes the time to repeat uh, his main points that we've seen throughout this, this letter. Uh, he takes the time to emphasize these truths, to shore up the beliefs of the Christians, to help the Christians to be fortified in the truth. And uh, if you remember back, if you were here in my introduction to this study, we looked at one of the main reasons that John wrote this letter, uh, and that was the, the appearance of the Gnostic teachings in the church. Christians were being troubled and confused by these teachings, so John had to remind them of the truth. And the Greek word gnosis means knowledge. So the Gnostics, uh, that's where that comes from, those, they were those with a supposed special knowledge that was really a mixture of pagan mysticism and Greek philosophy. That's what they were bringing into the church. Uh, this was what was confusing people. They said that salvation came by a secret and superior knowledge uh, only given to those who were the initiated. They considered all matter, physical matter, to be evil, but the spirit was good. That translates uh, to your body being evil, but your soul being good. Okay, your body may sin, but your spirit can't be touched by sin, so don't worry about judgment. Okay, This is not true. Um, according to David Hebert, the Gnostics, meaning knowing ones, held that spiritual excellence consisted not in a holy life, but in their superior knowledge which enabled them to rise above the earthbound chains of matter in their apprehension of the heavenly truth that had been made known to them. This knowledge, they claimed, had been made known to them through Christ as the messenger of the true God. Thus, the Gnostic Christ was not a savior, he was a revealer. He came for the express purpose of communicating his secret gnosis. Uh, 
Hmm. Sounds familiar. There are also some variations of Gnosticism. The Docetic Gnosticism held that Christ merely seemed to have a human body. If you remember, we, we talked about this at the very beginning. His supposed humanity was, was a phantom, really. Okay, you, you see Christ could not have had, truly had a physical body because matter is evil, thus that would have made Christ evil. You can see how believing one thing falsely leads people down the road to really complete abandonment of the truth and other strange beliefs, and it's no different today. Um, there was Serinthian Gnosticism, named after Serinthus, uh, who was a late contemporary of John at Ephesus. Serinthus taught that uh, the man Jesus was the son of Joseph and Mary. He was uh, more righteous and wiser than any other person, but that the Christ came on him at his baptism and empowered his ministry and then left him before his crucifixion. So it was only a man who died and rose again. Okay, strange things, but again, they claim to have special knowledge, um, and that's where they get salvation from was because of their, their special knowledge. And because of these unbiblical beliefs, people began to engage in asceticism, okay, which is the, the punishing of your evil body to free the good spirit within. Right? They, they thought this harshness against their own bodies or their flesh had some value in it. They thought themselves wise, but the Bible tells us that there's a big problem there, right? Colossians 2, 23 says, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Okay? They have an appearance of wisdom, but they are of no value. Worse, as in the case of the false teachings here, they keep you in your sins. The, the truth of the gospel is not there. You're left in your sins when you follow down this road. Um, but Paul says that the correct way to think, uh, he says what that is in the next chapter, if you were to stay in Colossians, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Okay, you see, the Gnostics would know that what... Um, what they're doing is worthless. They would, they would know that. They would recognize that this harshness to themselves was worthless if they had not abandoned the Word of God or if they had known the Word of God in the first place. They would have been able to have the truth. And there was another extreme that people went to in the false teachings of the Gnostics, and that was to go all the way to licentiousness, right? They would, they would live any way they wanted because the body is matter and matter is evil, but um, the spirit is good. So don't do whatever you want. Live however you want. Um, your spirit's good. It's fine. Just, just do whatever you want. And that is not biblical. Okay? This is a perversion of the grace of God, an outright denial of Jesus Christ. Again, the Bible is not silent on this and makes it clear that this can creep into the church without people knowing about it. This kind of false teaching can creep into the church. In Jude 1.4 says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality, or another word for that is licentiousness, and they deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Okay, so the Bible knows about this. It, it speaks to these, these issues. And you can see the problems John was addressing in the church, 
and the seriousness of the damage false teaching um, had the potential to do and was doing in some cases. So he wrote this letter. Okay? He's, he's attacking all this false teaching from the Gnostics. And now we come to the last chapter and John's attempts to, uh, at clarity by reputa- or, or, uh, repetition. Okay? He's going to repeat some things. He's going to emphasize some things here in the last part of this letter. So we'll look at his repeated statements briefly and notice a couple of new points that he's, that he's put in there. Okay, so let's look at our text for tonight, and then we'll pray. 1 John chapter 5, we're going to do verses 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. Thank you for these reminders that we'll hear tonight from your word uh, as John wrote them, dealing with problems of false teaching in the church. And I pray, Father, that through your spirit, you would teach us the truth here, that um, our thinking would be biblical, that our minds would be continually renewed in the truth of who you are and what you have accomplished through your Son um, on our behalf, Lord, and we're so grateful for it. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here in the first three verses of chapter 5, we see um, the first three biblical truths that John is repeating, okay, from what he's already written down in the first four chapters of the letter. Okay, those three biblical truths that we'll see here are that, that Christians believe Jesus is the promised Messiah, the anointed one of God. That's what Christians believe. The second one is Christians love Christians. And then the third one is Christians obey God's commandments. Christians obey God's commandments. And John stated the first two repeated points this way in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Okay, He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone, every person who believes. This is talking about faith. Right? It, not just about having a knowledge of facts. Okay, this is, this is all-encompassing, and we mentioned this before. And what I mean by that is that this is the belief in Jesus as the Christ according to the Scriptures. Okay, John said the same thing, but in a different way, back in chapter 2, verses 23, uh, 22 and 23. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he said. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Okay? You can't have one without the other. You can't have the other without the one. Okay? Where, where else have we seen this? Where else have, is John repeating this from? He wrote about it in other places here in this letter. Chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. 
And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. And in chapter 4, verse 3, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. And he talked about it in chapter 4, verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in Him and He in God. And the words, when John used the words believe and confess here, they're, they're both saying the same thing. He's talking about the same thing. And this is, not, this is not someone's opinion about Jesus. It is a belief in what the Bible says about Jesus, in all that the Bible says, everything that it says about Jesus. We cannot read about Jesus in the Bible, agree that he was an actual man, but believe he was just a man, okay? like the Gnostics and many New Agers and other religious groups today. Those people are not born of God, are outside of Christianity. We also cannot say we believe in Jesus as the Son of God, yet hold that he was a created being, like Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Those people are not born of God and are outside of Christianity because they do not believe in the Jesus of the Bible. They've changed it. They've created a Jesus of their own making to fit their own man-made doctrines. They have to because they've changed other things and to stick with the Bible, and Jesus doesn't fit into that. The truth doesn't fit into it, so they have to change things. Now, the, the belief John is talking about is, is a belief in every aspect of Jesus' person and work as described in the pages of Scripture alone. Everyone who does this has been born of God. This is an absolute statement of fact about salvation that John is making here. John's emphasizing it again in his closing remarks of this letter. And, and as I just showed you from the text that we looked at in weeks past, this isn't the first time he's talked about it. Hey, you cannot believe this way, the way John is talking about belief, and not be born of God. He's making these absolute statements. This is a belief with a right response, proving it to be true belief or faith. That's what, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about someone who utters some words. To come to this belief is salvation because to have this kind of belief is impossible without God's intervention. And without the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. And the Bible makes it clear that this is, is all a gift of God. It's not just that salvation is a gift of God, it is, but the grace and the faith through which we are saved are also gifts from God. Okay, Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Grace and faith, the gift of God. It is all a work of God, and, and where this work is being done, the result is always the same, new birth. When God starts this work in someone, the outcome is the same. It's a new birth. His, his second repeated point that we'll look at from John here in the first verse is that everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. What does that sound like? What is another way to put that? Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Okay, absolutely, we saw that, but also about other believers. 
right? Other believers, I am born of God. Other believers are born of God. We love each other, right? And that's the, the command that we've had. Um, I think this point is probably a little fresher in our minds because it's been repeated several times recently. And this is another way of talking about love for brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and that's what John means when he talks about someone as being born of him. Right? He's talking about Christians, those who have been born again. In other words, everyone who loves the Father, everyone who is a Christian, will love everyone else whom the Father has caused to be born again by the Spirit through the Son. Okay? We're, we're in a special brotherhood as those who have been born of Him. There's, there's a divine spiritual connection based on our death to sin and our life in Christ. Each believer is adopted into the family of God. And to not love your brother and sister in Christ is an on, if you're doing that in an ongoing and unrepentant way, is proof that your profession of faith is just that. It's a profession. It's not true faith. You're not a Christian if you can go on hating your brother and sister in Christ. And John hit this point hard, clear, and often in this letter. In chapter 2, I forgot to tell you at the beginning, I got a lot of scriptures I want to be going through tonight, So, but because we're looking back at some. Um, in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, he said, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. In chapter 3, verse 10, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Okay, big distinction there. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. You see, he's talking about this impossibility. In chapter 3, verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In chapter 4, verse 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. In 4.12, no one has ever seen God if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. If, there's an if there, if we love one another. And from last week, chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Okay, it's pretty clear. John's words on this are, are very clear. You're not, uh, the, and these aren't even all the biblical examples of, of this, but if you think you can not love your brother or sister in Christ by continually holding a grudge against them, gossiping about them, not forgiving them, ignoring or uh, hurt or sin that you've committed against them, etc., and and if you think you can do that and confidently be assured you are a Christian, you're wrong. And that's John's point. We should be asking ourselves if there's a brother or sister we're not loving. Because if we're not loving them, then we're hating them. If we can continue to do that without repenting and attempting to restore that relationship, God says we're not born of Him. Now, I said repenting and attempting to restore, okay? because we can only control our own actions. I, I can only control what I do and say. I can't control what you do and say. 
And turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. Go back to the left in Romans chapter 12. And I want to look at verses 9 through 18. There's a whole section about what Christians look like. And, and that last verse, verse 18, is really about this point here that I'm making. But, um, but we'll, get to the, we'll get to that point regarding repenting and attempting to restore. But let's look at what, what Paul says here in Romans about what a Christian looks like. And there's several things here. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Okay, we must do what God tells us to do in the Bible. I cannot control whether the other person responds in a godly way. If they do not respond in a godly, biblical way, well, they must begin to ask themselves these questions as well. But you and I, we must do what God tells us to do, which incidentally is the exact same thing he tells everyone else to do. Okay, so that's easy to follow. You don't have any special instructions. Um, we're all, as believers, we all have the same instructions. And, and he says there, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And that's what I was talking about earlier when I said attempting to restore, repenting and attempting to restore. That means you, when he says if possible, right, that means you, you do what you're supposed to do in obedience to the Word of God and leave the rest to God. Okay? Your, your conscience can be clear regardless of the response from the other person. If you respond to a sin you've done against someone else or, or sin someone else has committed against you, if you respond in a godly, biblical way, your conscience can be clear. Even if they don't respond to your, your repentance or your apology, if, if they don't respond godly, you can't make them. Okay, that's between them and God. And the response may be painful. Right? You, you expect a certain response if you repent and, and are seeking to, to restore a relationship, and they may not receive that well, and they may not respond godly, and it could be very painful. But your conscience can be clear when you have done what God has said, because you've done this. You've, you've done as far as you can, um, if possible, to repair that relationship and to live peaceably with all. And this goes to the next verse in our passage in 1 John as well, where John says in verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. You see, this is all connected. We know we love God when we love His children. We know we love His children when we obey His commandments for how to respond to His children. We know we love God when we obey His commandments. We obey God's commandments when we love God and love His children. It's a bit circular, right? But, but like I said, it, it all goes together. They, they begin with these things here, of course, all begin with believing that Jesus is the Christ. And John started with that. 
today. Okay, he, he brings up commandments, right? He brings up the commandments of God here, makes a point um, um, that I just made. But again, in the next verse, he continues on that. Verse 3 in our passage. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Okay, where, where have we seen this before? Well, back in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Okay, again, these are proofs that someone is truly a Christian. And moving to chapter 3, verse 24, if you remember this, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now there's a new point that we see John making here in verse 3 that we've not talked about yet today. And we haven't really seen it him talk about this before. Um, a new description of what God's commandments are like for us. Yes, we are to obey God's commandments, but what do most people and even some Christians think about when they have to think about obeying God's commandments? What do we think about having to obey God's commandments? It's like the law to follow, okay? What else? We look at it as punishment? Okay. Yeah, sure. What's that? It's hard. Okay. It is obedience. Yeah. I think that's the, the, some of the things that people initially think of when we, when we think of this. Unbelievers and believers sometimes, we can look at God's, we can look at obedience to God's word as a, as a bummer, right? It's, it's hard. It's too hard sometimes. It's a lot of pressure to get it right. Don't we put pressure, like what you're talking about, about the law, like obedience to the law. We put pressure on ourselves. Um, but what John says, this Truth he gives us here about God's commandments is necessary for us to grasp. And John says, God's commandments are not burdensome. Yet we have what we just talked about. That we, our initial thoughts sometimes about those things are, these are burdensome. But he says, they're not burdensome. First, uh, John's reference to the commandments of God here, what we need to understand, first of all, is that this is not limited to any particular commandment. Okay? It's not referring merely to the Ten Commandments, okay, though they would be included. This is a reference to obedience to the Word of God as a whole. Okay? Anything the Lord commands or requires of His children, as well as those things He does not permit His children to do. Okay? It, goes, it goes both ways there. This is talking about the whole counsel of God. And of course, first and foremost, it begins with the command to repent and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why does he say that obedience to God's word is not burdensome in light of what we just talked about? Well, because that is what he's saying. It's not burdensome. He's saying God's children should not view obedience to his word as a burdensome thing because it's not. But if our thinking is off, then we can look at it that way. 
But there's another thing I want to ask a question about. When, when is it that a Christian will find obedience to the Word of God most burdensome? When is it that a Christian will find obedience to the Word of God most burdensome? When it goes against what you want to do. Absolutely. Okay? When, when obeying God conflicts with our own fleshly desires, then it's burdensome. Okay? When, it, when it conflicts with our worldly pursuits, then it's burdensome. When it conflicts with our, with our man-centered beliefs, it's very burdensome. So you see a lot of people today rejecting the Scriptures for their worldly, man-centered beliefs because it's burdensome to believe what the Word says. When you look at it in terms of a culture, but like we've been talking about on our Sunday series, we don't fit in here. We are strangers and exiles. It's to be expected. We don't, because we're strangers and exiles, we don't then dump the Word of God so we don't seem so strange. We remain strangers and exiles because we stick with what the Word of God says. And how do we change the mindset of our obedience to God's Word? Well, we don't do it as an obligation, but as a loving response to His grace and mercy toward us. We do it because we want to, not because we have to. But what, what difference does want to versus have to make? What is, what is the difference there? It's attitude of the heart, absolutely. And one leads to the weight and burden of works righteousness, right? The have to. It, it always leads to the burden, this weight, the pressure of doing all the right things all the time to get something. But the other, the, the want to, the want to um, leads to freedom from the burden of self-righteousness because we're responding um, to what God has done. His commandments are not burdensome because they are all for our good and for His glory. And God's children should increasingly find that obedience to the Word of God is a delight. Not a burden, but a delight. Right? A delight because we love God and we want to please Him. A delight because we benefit from that obedience. A delight because the alternative brings about worldly pain and suffering. It doesn't mean to, you know, when we have a right attitude about obedience to God, that doesn't mean you won't have any worldly pain or pain or suffering in the world, um, but you will have right thinking about that, of how to get through that. You'll be able to go to the Word and see, how do I respond to this biblically? You won't be floundering around, and it won't be because you were disobedient. Psalm 119.16 says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your Word. And then again in verse 24 of Psalm 119, your testimonies are my delight, they are my counselors. If you find that obedience to God's word in your life is a burden, you're doing it wrong. Right? I mean, you're, you're disagreeing with God, and, and that, that will never end well to disagree with God. It will never end in, in casting your cares upon Him. It will only increase as a burden. Um, let's look over at Matthew chapter 11.
Matthew chapter 11. Alistair, you know, was talking about casting our cares a couple weeks ago, and Brandon brought it up again this last week, I believe. Um, But here in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, I want to look at that. Again, uh, this is Jesus talking here. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we must look at obedience to God in light of the gospel. Right? When we, when we look at the Word of God and we're trying to be obedient to the Word of God, we need to be looking through the lens of the gospel. And what I mean by that is remembrance of what Christ has done for me. Just like when we talked about how to love one another, like someone that's really unlovable, seemingly unlovable, that we need to think of them and, and begin to try to love them the way that Christ loved us. So when we do that, we have to reflect on ourselves. Who was I before Christ saved me? Well, I was his enemy. I, I was unlovable. I treated him very poorly. I was a rebel, yet he loved me anyway. And so then once I look through it in that lens, how can I come up with some excuse to not love that person? How, how can I justify being unloving toward that person? And it's the same way here when we look at obedience to the Word of God. We don't look at it as a burden, but we look at it through the lens of the gospel. Our, our obedience is a response, um, compelled by the great love of God in sending His Son. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. But we can come to Him and receive what Jesus said, we can receive rest from all those burdens, from all that, that trouble um, in life. We receive rest from our sins. We still will struggle with sin, but I can come back to God. I can come back in repentance and be reminded my sins are forgiven in Christ. And then ask God to help me to be obedient to His Word. And, and He's given us His Spirit to help. These are all very encouraging things. And this is for every burden. Okay? The commands of God are not burdensome. And I want you to remember to think about it. When you find obedience to the Word of God burdensome, think about it and remind yourself, well, what am I doing now? Where am I disagreeing with God? Because from the Scripture we know it is not burdensome. So that means I'm trying to do something or want to do something that is making it seem burdensome because it's conflicting with my desires. As we need to ask ourselves those questions. The last two verses for tonight are also a repeat from John regarding the overcoming of the world and faith uh, in Jesus Christ here. In uh, 1 John 5, 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Again, John is talking about Christians when he mentions those born of God. So he's making a statement of fact about Christians that they overcome the world. Not that they might overcome the world, but that they do. How? Through Jesus. It's it's already accomplished in him. Back in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, um, John talked about the fact that God's children have overcome the evil one 
Of course, that's a reference um, not only to Satan, but to the whole world system that is Satan's realm, right, that, that belongs to him. And, and in that chapter, we saw that, that he was writing about how that's all passing away. And then we see John bringing it up again in chapter 4, verse 4, where he says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And notice the emphasis uh, that, that any overcoming is because of the greatness of who he is in you. Okay? Not, not your greatness, the greatness uh, of who he is. And that is, it's the Holy Spirit that's within us. It is Jesus who has overcome, who has overcome the world, um, or I should say, what has overcome the world, according to this passage. Well, there's a victory. What is that victory? It says, our faith. Now, Christians are victorious over the world because of their faith. He does not mean that the faith of Christians has accomplished victory. Okay? That was done by Christ. He's using these words to say that the faith of Christians proves the victory of Jesus Christ has already been achieved. Okay? He, he emphasizes that point then by his words in verse 5, which is really a rhetorical question. The answer is implied in the question because of everything John has been teaching in this letter. 1 John 5.5, 5, our last verse for tonight, "...who is it that overcomes the world..." except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And he's, he's just repeating this. He's emphasizing this for us. When we look at Paul, and who Paul says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Well, through all what things? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. These are all things of the world. This is all part of the world system. Then he says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, that is, all these things in the world, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8, 38 and 39. The key is, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, this isn't about our greatness. It's not about what we have accomplished or can accomplish. It's about what God has accomplished through His Son, who was the propitiation for our sins. It's about the indwelling Holy Spirit and every believer. This is proof. This is, this is proof that we are Christians. It's proof of Christ's victory over sin and death when he can save, can transform the lives, the hearts of unbelieving sinners, wretched sinners, and save them, forgive their sins because of his work on the cross. It's all about being in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, like Paul was emphasizing that, we just read about in Romans, so is John in verse 5. To those who've been uh, confused, remember who John's writing to, those who have been confused and troubled by the teachings of the Gnostics, John is giving comfort in the truth. Right? Cast away all that false stuff they're teaching you. Come back to the truth. Come back to what you learned at the beginning. And we should also, you and I should also take comfort 
in this truth. That when we're bombarded by things that just, this is not true. It's not from the Bible. I can go back to the Scripture and see and test it, like John said, and see if it's true or not. And we should apply this way of thinking to our daily lives, to our interactions with other people, and especially to our interactions with other believers, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is, as we get into this last chapter, um, like I said, John is doing a lot of repeating here. He's kind of wrapping things up. He's shoring up all that he said, and he's reemphasizing it. Uh, in moving forward. And there's still some, some new things here in the last chapter that we'll see in the, in the coming weeks. But he starts out this, this chapter here with, uh, with some repeats and adding in a couple other things. So let's think about it that way, that about obedience to God's Word. It is not burdensome. And when I find that it's burdensome, let me check, check my thinking. Where is it conflicting with what I want to do? And that's why it feels burdensome, right? Okay, let's close for the night. We're, we're out of time. And if, again, after we pray, if you want to stick around for a time of uh, question and answer, Brandon's going to come join me up here, and we'll do that. Uh, if you have to go, that's fine. But you're welcome to stay and, and join us in that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this night. We thank you, Lord, for this uh, word from John as he's written to remind us about several of the things that we've learned in this letter. And Lord, we thank you that we can know that we are your children. And we thank you, Lord, that it does not depend on us. We thank you that it does, our salvation does not depend on us holding on to it even. Father, that it's accomplished by you, it's kept by you. And you have graciously and mercifully granted salvation to those who believe in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And all that that encompasses, Lord, we're so grateful for this free gift of salvation through Christ. We praise you for it. And, and Father, as we go forward this week uh, and, and live our lives daily, Lord, may we walk in the truth. May we um, walk in the light and not in darkness. May we delight in your word. May we delight in obedience to your word and not think of it as burdensome. Lord, because everything that you have commanded us to do, instructed us to do, restricted us from doing. It's all for our good and for your glory. I pray that we would glorify you each day. In Jesus' name, amen.